The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 235 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is conversations with dementia. The most common type of dementia is Alzheimer's disease. It's a brain disease that can't be stopped, reversed, or cured. It slowly destroys memory and thinking. But there's hope, too, which I learned about in an episode on this show. My guest was a retired firefighter who is family caregiver for his wife, who's living with advanced Alzheimer's disease. We pre-recorded the episode so he and his wife could listen to the broadcast together. Now, in the, in, the, uh, in the discussion, I asked him about their life story, the life story of the two of them together. Uh, after the show had been broadcast, he called me to say that they, they did, that is, he and his wife did sit together listening, and that when he was talking about their life as childhood sweethearts and their love of dancing, she snuggled up to him. Medical research is focusing more and more on happy memories like this for people with dementia, which is why our topic today, conversation with, Conversations with Dementia, is so important. To discuss it, our guests are Michael Ellen Bogan and Laurie LaBay. Uh, Michael was diagnosed with younger onset Alzheimer's disease in 2008 at the age of 49. Prior to his diagnosis, he was a network operations manager for a Fortune 500 financial institution. Since his diagnosis, he's participated in many speaking engagements and media interviews as an advocate in educating others about Alzheimer's disease and to increase funding for research to find effective treatments. He's interested in motivating people with Alzheimer's to raise their voice and reduce the stigma surrounding this disease. He believes that his diagnosis with Alzheimer's disease is not the end for him because he has so much more to give to the world. Laurie is the founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, an advocacy group based in the U.S. that provides education and support for people dealing with Alzheimer's disease and dementia. She was named the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's disease by ShareCare with Dr. Oz in November 2012. Her training programs are designed for people with memory loss and for family and professional caregivers. She is a highly sought-after speaker, trainer, 
advocate for new delivery systems and improved attitudes towards those with memory loss. She's been a contributing author in four books and is working on detailing her personal 30-year journey with her mother's memory loss. So welcome to the show, Michael and Laurie. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So there we go. Starting off with you, Michael, please tell us more about your story as someone who has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Michael? Well, I guess it was about the age of 39 that I actually uh, started struggling a little bit with uh, various tasks around in my job. And uh, for the longest time, I couldn't understand what the difficulties were or why I was having these difficulties. Uh, it was, all, you know, various ranges from having issues of not being able to remember just four-digit phone numbers that I used to once know. I started forgetting issues like acronyms related to my field that I always knew. I even forgot staff that directly reported to me. So I reached out to, you know, many uh, places in my area that uh, were neurological doctors and psychological doctors and uh, trying to find out what was going on. And after many years of testing, uh, three, four years, all they could come back with is that I was either stressed or depressed. And I knew that that wasn't the case, but unfortunately, uh, that's all they could tell me. So it ended up taking almost 10 years before I was able to get a diagnosis uh, where I was finally starting to uh, become even more difficulty in my daily life, and my wife was even starting to realize it. And at that point in time, uh, we started with all brand-new doctors. This time, we didn't let the old doctors know uh, about the new doctors because I realized early on that once they had some kind of diagnosis they were reading from the old doctor scripts, that kind of made up the doctors' minds. So this time, I started out from scratch, and... Uh, after long testing again, uh, and with the help of my wife, who happens to be in the medical field, we were finally able to uh, get a PET scan, which was a deciding factor, uh, and not many uh, companies pay for that today. I was lucky. And uh, the PET scan came back with a diagnosis of early Alzheimer's. So uh, luckily for me, uh, I was finally able to get a diagnosis. Right. Laurie, please tell us more about your story as a family caregiver for a family member with Alzheimer's disease. Well, it's my mother that has dementia, and she has struggled with symptoms for 30 years. So she started at my age in her mid-50s. She's now 85. She lived independently with my father and the family caring for her. Um, the past 12 years, she has been in a nursing home uh, due to her own choice uh, because my dad ended up there with brain cancer at the very end, and she wanted to stay with him. And she's been in her end stages for four years. And so this this isn't something I said sign me up for, just like I'm sure Michael didn't either. It's something that happens to you. And then you get this passion to make changes because you see how um, insufficient and ineffective our systems currently are. And you just don't want anyone else having the struggles that you have going through these. And so... Um, 
And so I, you know, changed careers and made it now my life's mission to shift the caregiving from crisis to comfort and to really make a difference in how our dementia care is structured and um, trying to help people remove the fear attached to it along with isolation. Now, talking about um, initiatives and doing things, Michael, please tell us about your work with the Michael Ellen Bogan movement. Well, I got to tell you, early on, uh, you know, Lori kind of hit it right on. You know, after you have anything to do with this particular disease, uh, you start to realize very quickly on that, sadly, there's nothing out there for many people who uh, are struggling with it. And even the people who tend to think they're out there trying to help us, but unfortunately don't always have the right information. So I realized I had to do something more. Um, you know, living with this disease, you know, I, I want to take something that was, I guess, a negative and try to turn it into a positive. I didn't want it to be a waste, you know, because I got this thing. Like I said, there's nothing you can do to get it, but at least I could try to do something to change the course for many others. So because of that, I realized there were so many things that just weren't being done, and people just had the wrong idea of what people with dementia really needed. And I was always the person in my past job that I was kind of the go-to guy, and I could always get almost anything done. I believe I could get, no matter what, I could get it done. So I said, you know what, let me try to apply what skills I do have left to try to make some kind of progress in this particular arena. And that's where I created the Michael Allen Bogan movement. And basically, you know, I set a whole bunch of goals out there that I was trying to accomplish. And I started reaching out to all high-level people out there and people who can influence decision-making around the course of the disease. And now I've actually now reached out to over 4,200 people through LinkedIn and have been able to get all kind of people to help me in that movement. Uh, I've now been able to speak at NAPA, the National Alzheimer's Project Act. I've been the only person with Alzheimer's who has spoken at every single one. I've recently been appointed to the Pennsylvania State Planning Committee to uh, help with the planning decisions on what they're going to do for here in Pennsylvania from persons living with the dementia and their caregivers. So these are just some of the things I've been able to accomplish and so much more. Uh, but that's what kind of led me to trying to get involved in doing something. Great. Laurie, please tell us more about your work with Alzheimer's Speaks. Laurie? Well, with Alzheimer's Speaks, what I found was that people were afraid to talk. They were, they were afraid to have this conversation. They were afraid to admit they were in the trenches or thought they might be in the trenches with it. And I just saw the fear and the pain and the isolation and just said, this, this has to stop. And so I started the blog, and um, that has a lot of stories of, you know, my, my personal journey with my mom. And I've learned through this disease to always ask myself, what's the lesson? And what I found is that there are so many lessons wrapped in dementia that are just beautiful lessons that you can apply throughout your whole life, and it really simplifies things, and it really gets to you honing in on what what you truly value in life. So the blog is one platform. People can submit articles to me. They can make comments. 
Um, the resource directory is another. We're just going to be updating our website. I just got off talking with my webmaster today, and we're doing another upgrade, and that should be done hopefully by the end of the week, um, where people can put into a collaborative resource directory what do they find of value. So it might be a book. It might be a video. It might be a newsletter. It might be a business. Um, but people can start sharing tools, resources, and products. Because what I found was, A, when I first got into this, I didn't even know what questions to ask, let alone, you know, where I should go for resources. And there was a lot of statistics and a lot of um, research, but there wasn't much, you know, 30 years ago. And I still think there's not enough out there today of teaching us and uh, explaining how to live with this disease. And so the resource directory brings in best practices from around the world so that we can share ideas, so that we can move forward faster and we can work collaboratively together. Um, I have the radio show Alzheimer's Speaks, again, where I interview people from all over the world, both with dementia, um, personal families caring for them, professionals and business uh, um, entities that are doing something different, advocates we've had. Harvard Research on, we've had people biking across America, musicians, authors, a little bit of everything. But my philosophy is everyone's voice needs to be heard. Um, we also have another platform called Dementia Chat, which is a free webinar we do twice a month. Um, in fact, we did one today, and Michael wasn't able to come because he was at his meeting with Pennsylvania. Um, and that is a place where people have an opportunity to ask those with dementia questions that they might not be able to ask their family or their clients. Um, and that's, that's the information challenge that Michael was also talking about. Now, we have, the time has come. We have to take the break so we can uh, pay, the, pay the rent. So we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guests, Michael, Ellen Bogan, and Laurie Lai-Bay. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Power River. Please stay with us. We will be back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. When you think of inspiring women, who comes to mind? Is it a visionary like Oprah Winfrey? Political or legal figures like Hillary Clinton or Sonia Sotomayor? Or how about entrepreneurial business leaders like Meg Whitman? No matter whom you might be thinking of, make sure to add one more to that list. Deanne DeMarco. She's the host of Today's Inspiring Women. Each week, Deanne turns you on to the next rising star in business and leadership and what their successes and challenges have been. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Voice America. 
Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus Drug Discount Card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word TALK RADIO to 96362. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and my guests, Michael Ellenbogen and Laurie LeBay. Our topic is Conversations with Dementia. Let's now talk about the challenges to conversation when one person in the conversation has Alzheimer's disease. Now, Michael, question to you. What are the challenges to conversation you experience in living with Alzheimer's disease? Well, I think one of the biggest uh, problems is, I guess when I'm talking to people, uh, most people don't understand that somebody like me could have dementia. And it's very frustrating. You know, they all envision that, I guess, 85-year-old person having dementia and not somebody who is young. And uh, sadly to say, there are people out there that are 29 and 30. While they're not the norm, uh, there there are younger people that have it. And uh, I think one of the things that has to happen is the stigma needs to change around this disease, and people need to understand that people like myself do have dementia, and they need to be more forgiving and learn how to deal with us. The, the second challenge I tend to run into, they believe that once you find out that I do have Alzheimer's, they feel like I'm not capable of doing anything. They just feel that, oh, he's demented and he can't do a thing. So I, I think people need to start to realize we may have some difficulties and some challenges ahead of us, but there's still many things I'm still capable of doing. I have to do it at my own time and my own speed, but there's many things I'm still able to accomplish. I just need people to be a little bit, I guess, more understanding and be willing to give me that extra time that I need to get things done. Uh, I mean, people like us still need to live in society, and we still need to be able to live life to the fullest, and they need to treat us that way, not that as many people as I say, they, I think a lot of people just think that they should just write us off, and that should be the end of our lives. But I believe we still have a lot to give, so I would love to see that really be changed. I'm going to Laurie and asking you basically the same question. What are the challenges to conversation that you hear about from persons who are themselves living with Alzheimer's disease? Laurie? Well, I think, you know, Michael hit it on the head where, you know, people have a couple of uh, perceptions. One is that they're immediately incompetent in all areas of their life since they're diagnosed. Um, and, and the other is they'll, they'll look at somebody and say, well, you look fine. You look, you look normal, so you must be crazy because I, I don't want to deal with that. 
And so, because you look okay, you're talking to me fine, you're not a person in a wheelchair in their end stages who needs to be fed, so you can't have the disease. And so it's really kind of strange um, in terms of our perception. In terms of actual conversation and communication, the issues that I hear um, people with dementia repeatedly say is that, A, they can either feel very left out of the conversation because now everything is directed towards their care partner or someone else because people think that they can't make a decision. Um, they get very frustrated with complicated directions. Um, people won't give them time to respond. If you would pose a question and just wait seven seconds, just seven seconds, many times they can find their words and their answers, um, and that's all they need. And so part of it is for us to slow down. Um, there are also issues where people don't understand it's difficult to have a conversation um, when there are a lot of voices. So in a restaurant, at a gathering, and how they, they get this kind of intermixed noise in terms of sorting things out. And, and I'm starting to appreciate that more as I age with background noise. My parents always used to talk about it. And it really interferes um, with my conversation in concentration now. Um, Sometimes people ask too many questions or too complicated of questions. They need to break them down. Or when they go out to a restaurant, um, they're given too many choices. You know, would you like one of, you know, 12 pops? Well, you know, for most of us, they've lost us after two. And so we need to learn to phrase things different. We need to ask questions, we need to be patient and wait, we need to give eye contact, we need to engage those with the disease. Now, Michael, back to you. What are the challenges to conversations that your family and the people you work with, you know, in your new work that you're doing, experience with you? In other words, put them yourself in the shoes of people who are around you and tell us about the challenges they experience michael well i don't know it's hard for me to tell you what they experience i don't know if what they actually experience i could tell you there's many times when i speak that i think i'm saying what i think i'm saying but it doesn't come out that way and i know that for a fact because you know sometimes i have conversations with my wife and she'll say, well, that's not what you said. And, you know, I know one time we had this whole conversation about something, and we went on for like 10 minutes, and then something just didn't make sense at the very end. And I said, well, why are you saying this to me? It didn't make any sense. And then when I finally went back and clarified it, she goes, oh, I thought you said this. So it was like we were going on with this conversation for 10 minutes, and I totally misunderstood the whole conversation from the beginning. And I was going down the wrong path. So, you know, one thing that I think is important is for people to not assume we understand things and to make sure and clarify that we understand it. And maybe that might be something that they need to do with us is to also clarify that, you know, what we said to them, that they repeated back to us because sometimes what we think we're saying isn't quite what comes out. And that could be confusing depending on, you know, the, the, the subject that we're dealing with, it could be, you know, sometimes uh, something very important and it's lost. You know, uh, the other thing is, you know, many times people ask me something and, you know, they, 
they, they act like what I'm saying is factual and it's the, you know the, the, the exact truth. Well, you know, you got to remember, I have Alzheimer's. Sometimes my thinking doesn't always come out immediately, and what I might say might not really be right. So that's the other problem that people need to understand. You know, so sometimes it does take some more investigation on their part to just double-check with me of what I've said. Right. Now, Laurie, it's exactly the same question, but it's phrased in the same way that I did before, which is to ask you, what are the challenges to conversation you hear about from families with family members living with Alzheimer's disease? What do people tell you? What do the families tell you? Laurie? They, well, they feel very uneducated and unsupported, um, and they're, they're really lost. They don't know where to go. Um, they don't know who to talk to. They don't know what questions to ask. And uh, the other thing that comes up often is that we tend to, to motivate people to raise money for organizations by fear, not hope. And what companies have to realize and organizations have to realize is people will pull out their wallet if they feel hopeful. And by scaring them, we're just making things. You know, it's just it's harder to deal with anything in your life when you're scared, um, because then there's this loss of control. When there's hope, you have this support that surrounds you. And so the fear can cause depression. And again, it's just not a useful language or technique um, that I think that we should be using. I also think that, uh, you know, I hear caregiving is burdensome. You know, as soon as, as, soon as someone uses that word, uh, you know, and you might say, well, I'm, I'm a caregiver for my parents. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. It doesn't make any difference what they have, but it's just that you're giving it all away. And what we have to rephrase and um, change perceptions is that when we give care, it's a two-way street. We're never giving it all away. We always get something back. And that brings, you know, when we can change our perception in that, that helps us get balance in our relationship. And that makes a huge difference because we are very much motivated as a society by tasks in our to-do list, not, not so much relationship-based. And, again, that gets us off kilter. So I, I think, you know, families struggle with, again, um, they want to know the statistics, they want to know the medical jazz, but more so they want to know how do I live with this disease? How do we incorporate this in our life like we have all the other diseases? And who the heck's going to tell me about that? And there's, you know, we're starting to see more people like myself and Michael and, you know, Richard Taylor and Norm McNamara. And, you know, there's lots of people starting to bubble. People know is wonderful. Um, teaching people techniques, um, saying it's going to be okay. We just need a, a new toolkit, that's all. Michael, back to you. It, what you've both been saying, as I understand it, is that what's crucial is understanding. That is, understanding on the part of the people who are conversing with people with Alzheimer's disease and also on the part of the people with Alzheimer's disease, understanding that they 
do have to explain certain things, certain requirements, certain needs, so that the people that they are conversing with also understand. Now, I've put that in a rather harsh way, but just generally, Michael, am I right? And if I'm not right, put me right. Well, I, I think you are right in a way, but the problem is I don't think we're always thinking to explain it to other people, and that's part of the problem. That's where I think society needs to become more dementia-aware so they understand how to deal with us. We don't always think to explain to other people that we're having difficulties or, you know, to, or, or to bear with us. I, I tend to at times, but I don't always. Uh, so that, that might be an issue for many. So I think what we're getting to is the point that uh, there's got to be a move to improve understanding in all the ways, Michael and Laurie, you've been talking about. And so that's going to be something that we'll talk about in the next segment, which we're going to in a moment. Because, unfortunately, we have to come to the end of this segment because we have to take the break, as I always say, to pay the rent. So this is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guest is uh, Laurie LeBay and Michael Ellenbogen. Is you're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 Community Radio for Power River. Please stay with us for coming. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Want the inside scoop about what's going on in the social networks of art and entertainment? Tune in to Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com. We'll talk to the top professionals in the entertainment industry and find out what they're working on and what's next. Your host is James Barber, who has his finger on the pulse of the arts and entertainment world. Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com, live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to doc. G at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and my guests, Michael Ellenbogen and Laurie LeBay. Our topic is conversations with dementia. 
So now let's talk about ways to overcome the challenges to conversation when one person in the conversation is living with Alzheimer's disease. Uh, so, Michael, what are the ways in which you over the, overcome the challenges to conversation you experience in living with Alzheimer's disease? Those challenges that you were talking about in the previous segment, what are the ways in which you overcome them? Michael? I wish I could say there was an easy way. Unfortunately, there isn't. There's a couple things I do, but one thing I think it's important for people to understand is when I hear people speak, I don't hear everything that you say, like one sentence. I hear every, like, two or three words. So in my mind, I have to try to piece together what you're saying, and there's just no way around that. So that's something I kind of have to live with as I continue going on. But one thing I do try to do is I try to be in quiet environments, if at all possible, because the slightest background noise, but or not, just throws me completely off. If I happen to be, like, say, in a restaurant setting or uh, a setting where there's a lot of people speaking, and I got somebody right in front of me speaking, yet there's all kind of background noise, to me, it all comes in at the same level. And it actually sounds like a foreign language, and I cannot make out any of the verbiage the person is actually talking to me right in front of me because I can't filter out on that particular person's voice. So th that, that's a real challenge, you know, for somebody who's living with this disease. Um, you know, the, the other problem I try to do is I, I try to repeat back at times if, I, if it's something important enough back to the person. And more frequently lately, one of the problems I have is I, I really have difficulty writing anymore. But if it's something really important, I try to sometimes put it in writing, even though I have difficulty in writing, because that allows me to get some of my thoughts together so I can articulate it a little bit better and hopefully get some better understanding back from somebody in writing where I can at least read it back multiple times so I can understand it. So that's some of the steps that I've taken, and it has helped. But no matter what, I, I will tell you, it is a challenge every single day just trying to communicate with people, whether it's on the phone or, you know, being in public. It's not easy. Right. Laurie, what have you learned about the ways the persons who are themselves living with Alzheimer's disease, how they overcome the challenges to conversation? In other words, what do they tell you in the way that Michael has told you about his challenges and, and the way he overcomes them and tries to overcome them? All right. Well, I think um, with time, and not, not initially, because everybody, I think, fights this, but I think they learn to let go of control and that that's not as an important factor um, in terms of, and not that people don't want control and want to be organized and follow routines, but when things don't go quite right, um, you know, a lot of times they go with the flow much better than the rest of us because they know that in the scheme of things, it's not necessarily as important. Um, it doesn't hold as much weight as what it used to. I find that people with dementia are much more appreciative um, and value the little things in life. And I think they're great teachers to the rest of us in terms of what to look for, just to be able to, you know, Michael had described, you know, how difficult it can be to have a conversation and to sort out words. So just to be part of a one-on-one -on -one conversation where you don't have to sort out 
um, you know, I think they really value that because it makes things so much easier. Um, you know, when someone is talking to them and their spouse and they're giving them both eye contact and including them in conversation, um, we don't realize how important those things are, but I think someone with dementia, you know, finds the value because they're lost. And so, you know, when it, when it arrives, they're very appreciative and, and they talk about those things, um, in order to teach us. They learn to, um, value routine and the importance of how it makes their day go smoother. Um, they start looking for triggers of, well, why couldn't I remember that or what happened? Um, they really kind of put their detective hat on and try to share that with their their care partner. Um, and they, I've just been so amazed and so proud of all of them in terms of finding purpose. You know, what is their purpose? Not giving up on life and teaching all of us that we all have purpose and we can all make a difference um, no matter what, you know, what's going on in our life. That's just an incredible lesson that they share with us and that they really appreciate the support system. You know, when they click with somebody, they click with somebody. And um, they value that friendship, and they, they, you know, they, they just show it through the generosity of their own friendship in return. I mean, it's just it's this vulnerability that is just so beautiful, and um, it, it's just it, it's very neat, very very neat. Right, Michael, what advice do you have for families and family caregivers? in overcoming challenges to conversation with family members who are living with Alzheimer's disease. Um, what, what, what do you say to them, to families? Well, that's really interesting because I just recently did a study on that. Uh, you know, it, it, it's been known, or at least most people used to think that people with Alzheimer's after a certain point, the ones who weren't able to communicate, weren't able to really think anymore for themselves. and. They weren't able to communicate with people, and I have found that that thought process is very, very wrong for the majority of the folks because if we become more patient with these people, and that's the problem, society again and the caregivers and all, they need to be more understanding and they need to change the mindset of normal conversation. Today, you know, somebody asks you a question and they expect an answer almost right away, and if you don't answer, they reply back or say something right away. Well, with a person with Alzheimer's, that conversation has to be very different. First of all, it's got to be done in a very quiet environment. It not only has to be in a quiet environment, if the person asks a question to the person living with the disease, they have to pause. And when I say pause, they have to pause up to about two minutes, depending on the condition of the person. So many people have found that if they wait that two minutes, People who have not been able to communicate in the past were suddenly communicating with them because they gave them time to think and process, and they were able to have conversations again. So I think we have to be more patient. We have to find other avenues to communicate with people. Sometimes they might not be able to communicate verbally. It might just be a matter of saying, asking them a simple yes or no question, and it might be 
looking for a signal of them communicating by signaling with their eyes up or down, raising a finger for yes or raising it down for no. But we have to become investigators, like Lori said. We have to find a way to communicate with these people. And it might be a long process to get to that point, but they have to try. And I think eventually they can get to that point. And that won't work for everybody, don't get me wrong. But I think for a good majority of people, there will be some form of communications that they could find with those folks. I guess then it's saying you know, part of your message, which is profoundly important, is to families, experiment, find what works, use it. That's the message, one of the messages that I'm getting Be- from you. I, am I right about that? Exactly. Okay. Now, let me go to Laurie now. What have you learned about the ways families and family caregivers overcome the challenges to conversations, you know, always with family members we're talking about who are living with Alzheimer's disease? What have you learned about the ways in which families cope with this, work with it, and, if you like, develop their own methods for meeting the challenges? Laurie? Well, you know, I think it really comes down to being honest and being vulnerable. Um, because until people are honest and vulnerable, you can't get to the core of what's really going on. And, and, I, and I think it, that can be a really difficult thing, especially for private people. I think families need to assess um, when, they're, when they're giving care, let's say, for a parent. You know, what are the siblings and the spouse comfortable doing? You know, what are they good at doing? And then what are they comfortable doing? Because a lot of times we assign tasks because somebody is good at something, but they might not be comfortable doing it. And, you know, we have to be respectful of all parties, and we have to protect the relationships at hand. And so having those conversations, I think, are really critical, and they can really stretch a family and um, unite them on some some great, great levels um, where people just didn't know and they, they get to know one another, you know, much, much easier. And um, it's, it, it really is just about simplifying and, um, and, and being focused on being person-centered. And person-centered is not task oriented. Person-centered is really um, not about your checklist, even a list that's all about the other person that you would think is person-centered. Person-centered is really about saying, is the person I'm caring for comfortable? You know, that really has to come first. Are they safe? Are they happy? Are they pain-free? You know, that person-centered, and then deciding how your tasks are going to get done to be able to maintain that for them. What then I think I'm going to just say quickly back to you both is this point about understanding the communication and understanding ways to make it work, which may be unusual or maybe nobody's had any real experience with before, that experimentation. And just very quickly... Um, you both mentioned pain and discomfort. Um, with some people with Alzheimer's disease, uh, we hear that they may have no way of conveying the fact that they're in pain or that they've got a mouth sore or something like that. And so therefore understanding what people are 
wanting to say, the information they're wanting to convey to us is profoundly important. So that's an emphasis of the value of what you both have just been saying, which is explore, experiment, and understand the communication challenges and how to deal with them. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this segment, so we'll take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Michael Ellenbogen and Laurie LeBay. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio with Power River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance, and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies. But 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word Talk Radio to 96362. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the founders of Access Consciousness, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane Here. Consciousness is all about including everything and judging nothing. Our program will help you break free from your personal limitations and enhance positive change in all areas of your life. Tune in to Access Consciousness, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite. And my guests, Michael Ellen Bogan and Laurie LeBay. Our topic is Conversations with Dementia. Now let's talk about more things you both would like to do and see done to help overcome the challenges to conversation when one member of the conversation has Alzheimer's disease. So, Michael, what more would you like to do and see done to help overcome the challenges to the conversation that we've been talking about? What more would you like to do and see done? Michael? Well, I've had a vision now for some time. Uh, it's actually a creative vision for many other people of something that I call dementia-friendly communities. And what that is is educating people in the community. That goes from firefighters, the police, your hospitals, the businesses, 
all to understand a little bit more about what it means to be living with dementia. Because only when those people understand what it's living, what people, you know, deal with and living with this disease, then they can deal with folks like us in society much better, and it would make our lives much easier to communicate with people. They would learn to understand the difficulties we have and how to handle us, to speak a little bit slower at times, to, you know, not go on, you know, some people ask you these run long sentences, you know, two, three sentences at a time, and, I mean, that's just overwhelming for somebody like us. So it would just give them a better understanding on how to, you know, just be able to communicate with us. And I think if we could accomplish that, that alone would be able to lead to advocacy for, you know, the people uh, who are living with this disease, and it would make so much more awareness out there. And I think that would also lead to so many other issues to lead to funding to, for this disease because it would make so much more awareness. So I think if we could do that, I think we would really benefit, and all, all those living with this disease would have so much easier life. You know, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, and today that's not really being done out there anywhere, at least not in the U.S., in, you know, that I'm aware of. Right. Laurie, same question for you. What more would you like to do and see done to overcome the challenges we're talking about? Laurie? I totally agree with Michael. Um, I love the concept of dementia-friendly um, businesses and communities. And for myself, I've broken them down into four categories. Um, businesses that have increased contact with somebody once they um, are diagnosed, so that would be doctors and social workers and financial planners. Um, the second is everyday businesses. So that might be your grocery stores, your banks, your coffee shops, your gas stations, and the places that we work because dementia doesn't stay at home. <laughs> it doesn't know any boundaries. And then um, the third category is businesses of comfort. So that might be theaters and um, sports stadiums and parks, um, beauty salons might be a restaurant or that can fall into the everyday business as well. And then the fourth category are people in power. So that's our politicians, our media personalities, um, our government workers. Because one of the big problems is, is that people think that being dementia-friendly only pertains to health care. And dementia walks with us in everything we do throughout every single day. We're just not aware of it. And so it's really important that we understand this disease, that we respect this disease, and that we learn to live with it. Just like we have heart disease and diabetes and AIDS, um, the Purple Angel is a program that is a, a symbol of, of hope and dementia, and it's a respectful identification tool that can be used. Um, to bring the world together, and it saddens me to see that there are still organizations that think they have to have their own symbol um, to make it different because it's, it's about collaboration. It's not about any one organization. It's about keeping it simple for us as a community, for us as a society to understand and to talk the same language. And by having all these variety of symbols, 
it really complicates things. And so I'm very much with Michael in terms of the training, the education, the awareness, getting that conversation going, um, getting the medical professionals in gear with this. Um, they are, I hate to say, but um, some of them are just as ignorant as the rest of the population, and people don't think that's the case. But just anybody with dementia, what they've gone through in that field, and you'll hear stories that will shock you. So we have a long, long ways to go. We've made terrific strides just in the last two years, but we, we need to move mountains. And I think that's going to happen through the grassroots effort. Now, <clears throat> different question for, for you both, starting with Michael. Michael, what's your message to family caregivers with family members with Alzheimer's disease? What do you say to them, Michael? Well, mine's, I guess, probably going to be very different here, but I, as a person living with this disease, I'm very frustrated because I've now had the opportunity to speak with many people in government, and the one message that I keep hearing back from them is the reason the government is not doing anything is because they're not seeing the numbers that they saw with people like with HIV and cancer coming up and standing up for this cause. And when I go out there to try to enlist people such as caregivers to do this and to ask them to be the voice for people with Alzheimer's and other folks with Alzheimer's, all I keep hearing is, well, we're just so overwhelmed or we just don't have time. And I guess what I'm asking is they need to get involved because if they don't get involved, it's not just about the loved one that they're working with now. It might be some future person in their family that might be having this disease later on, and what they do today will benefit them. I, I realize I'm asking an awful lot, but they have to get involved because what they do today will hopefully save somebody else's life in the future, not one that they're dealing with now, but somebody else. It could be the future you know, uh, grandchild or somebody, and we have to build a team together now and work together to try to get the attention of government. Right. And family caregivers have got to be vo vocal in that team. Now, Laurie, what is your message to family caregivers with family members with Alzheimer's disease? That it's much easier to live with this disease when you're open about it. Because you're not living a double life. You're not trying to pretend you're in control when you're not. Um, you are allowed then to find the support that you need. Um, people will come and try to support you and, and help in different ways. If you align with the right ones, there's going to be some that just kind of poo-poo you and, and leave you in the dust. But that gives you an opportunity to find new people um, that will be really healthy for you and be supportive of you. <clears throat> I think it, there's an opportunity to get involved with um, organizations like Us Against Alzheimer's. Um, they are a fabulous organization that are, is doing great things, have really simplified how to reach out to your Congress people, and they've really made it a one-click thing. And so there's no excuse for people not to get involved, not to follow their passions. They're breaking out different networks for different groups, from women to Hispanics to African American, um, to try to help in terms of comfort level. And, um, you know, the activists, they're pulling people, you know, together, the research group. Um, there's so, so much out there uh, to be done. 
and um, and you can help. You have a voice that's extremely important, and I guess one of the biggest things that I've learned in this journey and that has been really fun for me to watch is so many times I'll ask someone, you know, would you be on the radio show? And they're like, well, I don't have anything to say or, you know, I'm not an expert. And to watch them bloom because they are loaded with information that they don't even know is valuable to the next guy. And when we can start having those conversations, oh my God, I mean, that's, that's the glue that holds us together. Right. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this episode of Family Caregivers Unite. And I just want to say to Laurie, to Michael, to Michael and Laurie, um, you, you both mentioned strides that are being made. It's The strides are being made by people like you both. With all the things that you're doing, all the information you're sharing, your courage and getting involved, the strength of your beliefs, your, your sympathy, but at the same time, realistic caring, and the sense that people need to get together, need to talk together, and need to express together what their needs are with politicians, with governments, and all the rest of them, and doctors. Because you both, I think, have really been saying doctors aren't well enough informed. And I think I would agree with you on that. So thank you. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be about support for children and adults with autism. Please join us. Same time, same spot on the Internet talk to you then thank you again for joining us this week for family caregivers unite with your host dr gordon atherley please tune in again twice every week mondays at 10 a.m pacific time 1 p.m eastern time on the voice america empowerment channel and tuesdays at 10 a.m pacific time 1 p.m eastern time on the voice america variety channel until the next show we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.